This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share, and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good afternoon, and we are in this great world. Dan, how you doing, brother? I'm here, man. I'm here. I got my vaccine this week. I don't know if you saw my show yesterday, but I got my vaccine this week, and it's uh, it, it, it was you know, it's going. I'm tired, but hey, I'm here for you, Todd. <laughs> Yeah, that's what I was asking. I heard your show yesterday. You're saying that you're feeling a little under the weather uh, due to the shot. So, uh, but a great show what yesterday, by the way. I was really impressed with that. Uh, the guest was awesome. What a good topic. Yes, yes, I pretty Yeah, he was uh, definitely good. We're gonna try and work with, work some more with uh, George uh, as well. He definitely brought some great content to the show and some great content in his film. And it was definitely a, a guest that we could definitely benefit from more. Absolutely. Well, this today, Dan, we're talking to Stephen Torrance um, from Santa Monica. Um, and the interesting thing about Stephen, we'll let him tell a story, but I kind of want to just preface this. I met Stephen when we were working um, in Orange County together, and he he's an awesome leader, a great emergency manager, um, and he you know left a small town in, in Orange County, went to Santa Monica, and man, talk about trial by fire. Um, so Stephen, welcome to. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Glad, uh, glad to be with you guys. Yeah, it's good. Morning. Great, great to see you again. And so, good to see you. Things are going well for you in Santa Monica, I guess. Oh, they're peachy. <laughs> <laughs> no, every, peachy. everything is everything is going excellent. Um, you know, trial by fire is definitely a great way to explain it. Absolutely. So, let's just talk about that for a second. So, you grab this new job. You're excited about going, you get there, and then what happens? You, you know, I, I think there was this moment where every single thing that an emergency manager plans for uh, happened within like the first three months. Being in this position, I mean, it's been great. There is, uh, we came in, I we have the LA Marathon, which is one of those things where everyone thought that, that was going to be the, be the big kahuna for 2020. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, coming in here, getting my bearings right. I There was so much that we were preparing for for the marathon, but uh, simultaneously, then we started getting these little inklings about uh, the coronavirus. And of course, you know, luckily there's two of us here and uh, one of my colleagues is, uh, is a public health expert. So, you know, that was great. So we were able to bifurcate. I was able to lead the marathon. They were able to lead the coronavirus early on, you know, starting to gather the incident specifics but you know there's luckily it was one of those things where you know it it was tough because you're coming in going i still don't know all the departments i still don't know i haven't really read through all the plans and you know it's it's been great being here um but yeah trial by fire was definitely the thing that we ran into so santa monica i mean i think most people listen to this podcast understand what Santa Monica is or where it's at. And it's very iconic, right? It has, if you guys have seen it on, on TV, it has the great pier. 
with the with the entranceway in there. It's very famous uh, on a lot of movies and whatnot. Um, a lot of uh, uh, famous people live in Santa Monica, including uh, the former governor Schwarzenegger. He lives there. He runs around. Uh, very influential people there as well. So I'm, I'm sure dealing with the politics of, of this early on probably had some impact as well, no? Oh, of course. Um, yeah, the, the governor, uh, former governor, we see him actually riding his bike down down the street every once in a while, you know, depending on what time of the day it is. So there's definitely a lot of influential people here. Um, there's also a lot of a lot of tourists come here. You know, we've we've been on, I believe it's a Rescue 911, one of the one of the shows they they did a epic tsunami that took out, you know, the Santa Monica Pier, the icon <laughs> that is the Santa Monica Pier. And of course, we were sitting here going like, that can never happen here because <laughs> it was just, you know, when you watch the show, it was just like, oh my goodness, but that's not how tsunamis work. And that's not how our city is actually geographically laid out. Um, so yeah, it, when it comes down to it, there's there's a lot of things to consider. Uh, you have you have the the tourism factor because we have so many hotels, so many people coming here just to see the beautiful beaches and things like that. So when you're running into all these emergencies, you have to take all of that into the consideration, uh, knowing that at the end of the day, we have to get all these things back up and running. Let me ask this, you know, with the, with um, COVID in this, in, in 2020 into 2021, there's been a lot of ramp, you know, shut down, ramp back up, shut down again. How did that? How did how did you guys respond to that when it came to the tourism and the hotels being shut down and restaurants being outdoors and and then as this thing started opening up and shutting back down again and then of course you have everything else that happened with you know civil unrest and fire related issues and how, you know so how did how did that how did how did the ramping up and down especially being new to the job um, affect you in 2020. Yeah, the the ramping up and down was it was definitely a challenge because of course we don't have our we don't have a public health department. We are relied on the county for for a lot of information, and the changes sometimes can definitely be uh, a little bit hard to predict. So the ramping up and down, of course, we you know we've had our emergency operations center uh, up and running since day one, and we've um, have the we've had probably upwards of thirty people in house. Um, our EOC structure is probably about 75 to 100 people um, at its max. So we've been, it's its a core group that has always been assigned to, we have someone who's doing liaisoning at the, at the county. We have a situation status person who's always providing these little changes just so we know that just as, as much as we can in advance to be able to figure out what changes that we need to make. Uh, we also have our business liaisons who are out there, you know, having communications with our hotels, trying to get some feedback to understand what they would like to do. Um, and also if they're trying to push the limits a little bit, trying to figure out, okay, how do we strike that balance with having op uh, opening hotels, but at the same time, you know, the the changes of, you know, there's a closure. So making sure we have that communication, not only from the top down, but from the bottom up um, to hotels, we can't stop people from coming into the city. Uh, so that's one of the challenges that we do have. So how do we respond to that? We do our best to um, have people on the field with as much information as possible, but at the same time, um, you know, providing resources. So, you know, if people are from, coming from out of out of the country. Um, they don't know that they need to quarantine. We have a lot of information that's reminding people, hey, try not to come here if you're supposed to be on quarantine. Uh, if you do, please stay inside your hotels, abide by those quarantine rules. Uh, 
because we know that there's a lot of people that are coming here. I'd like to touch on something that you said, Stephen, with, uh, with with working with the county. County EOC is up and running as well. Uh, how closely did you guys operate together um, with uh, dealing with and continue to deal with this uh, situation? Yeah, we, we actually coordinate with them pretty well. Um, we are like a, um, we pretty much, there's so much going on here in the city that we've uh, assigned one person as their, as the liaison to both all county, all county functions. So that's Department of Public Health, the County Emergency Operations Center, and we go back and forth. So we're trying not to duplicate, um, duplicate efforts with our staff. Additionally, um, you know, we've done a lot of resource requests just because, you know, supplies were a little bit low. The county had them, especially coming from the state. So that really helped us with being able to stay in contact with the county, knowing that uh, the resources that they have, the plans that they have, making sure that we're aligned with them. That was one of the most critical things that we had. So uh, we dedicated one person to that because that function was just as critical as us being able to communicate with our community. So let me ask this as well. I mean, we, you know, a lot of jurisdictions, it's it's not necessarily always the um, always the case where you have a juris, you know, different departments working very closely together. Did you find that to be difficult at all? Did or did you find that COVID brought you guys together, or continue, did you have to work through challenges working with PD, fire, EMS? Yeah, there's there was definitely some growing pains, um, just because this was not a traditional emergency that a lot of jurisdictions have been through. We've probably trained to it a little bit, but we haven't actually been through and seen the specifics where we were going through this entire thing for months and weeks, you know, that every single department played a critical role um, in this entire response, whether it be um, our police and fire departments, whether it be um, the Office of Emergency Management, uh, we've all kind of come together and meshed. Um, and then you also had the departments that were non-traditional to emergency services. Uh, we've pulled disaster service workers from our Big Blue Bus, from our Community Services Division. Um, when we started looking at that, once we realized the impact, because, you know, seeing the streets of Santa Monica completely barren uh, of people for a, a few months early on in the pandemic, I think that was a shell shock. And I think that's when a lot of people realized this is something different. And we have to really look at this from a, from a standpoint where we as a city need to be able to go out and actually do this together. Because if we, you know, there's two of us here in OEO. Um, we can't do it all, but the demand and the, the requests coming from the community were there. So you talked about disaster service workers. How did the uh, staff uh, feel about changing from their daily role to what they were doing as DSWs? You, you know, I think a lot of people were well received. Um, they they saw they saw that the the requests came in. Um, we never we never ran into a, a moment where people were saying, eh, "I don't want to do that. It's not my job." Like it never it never came to to uh to that head like for instance we had uh, we've run two very large scale food distribution outlets um operations excuse me for um in a, in conjunction with the county and with that you know the call is made hey i need people and we had people from our finance department that are sitting here going yeah i'll, I'll meet you out there at the airport to hand out boxes of food um and that was the best you know, we've kind of talked about the best parts of this entire um, entire incident is just seeing the humanity come out uh, and the good. You know, we always harp on the bad, but I can tell you there's so much good because the staff here were always just like, what do you guys need? Um, do you guys need a, additional support? Do you guys need additional resources? Um, 
my group wants to help it. Do you guys have something for them to do? And we always, you know, we didn't always have something for them to do, but we always knew that we could make the call to a specific group and they're, they're essentially there to help us. So one of the, one of the people in the audience asked, um, Michael, he says, uh, do you have uh, promulgated any special orders or was the county order? So did you basically, did you guys make your own orders or did you guys just follow the county orders when it came to the public health? So because we didn't, we didn't really want to try to break away, but it's just because we didn't have anyone that could truly go in and have access to all of the information which led the county to make those decisions. So we stuck with the county's orders very consistently. Um, there were a few areas in which we had to go, we had to increase um, the, you know, our, our local order just because we had some specific areas where we saw some challenges uh, just due to things like the tourism. Uh, also due to, um, you know, we, we, unfortunately we have a large homeless population here. So we had to figure out ways to strike a balance with the county's orders, but we never, we never reduced their orders and we pretty much stuck in line with them. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break right now. And when we come back, I want to talk about the transition from the COVID response. You guys have your EOC activated and then into the, the civil unrest that uh, started this summer. Of course. The Outer Limit Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high quality first aid kits their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. Have you ever wanted to work in a flying ICU? LifeSave is currently hiring flight nurses and medics to join our air medical team. Check out our amazing salary and benefits packages. Visit airmethods.com careers and apply today. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit Power upconnect.com that is powerupconnect.com and hey, welcome back from that break and uh, thank you so much for listening to our sponsors without them we could not bring you the quality content that we do so please reach out to them and tell them that you heard them here on em weekly so steven before we we took the break alluded to the what happened next so your eoc is activated kind of re- recap here for a second so you're you're sitting there planning for the the biggest race almost in the world, and maybe the second biggest race in the world, the LA Marathon. Um, that's huge. COVID occurs, kind of pivot to that, plan on a COVID. And then the summer we have the um, civil unrest comes out. And, and I know that impacted you personally. And also Santa Monica was one of the cities that was right in the middle of, of it with a lot of damage and fires and whatnot. So go through that process and, and I'd like to hear what your, your feelings were on that. Well, 
Yeah, it was when you sit there and you are dealing with the marathon, which is a pre-planned event, you know, I would term it as, and by no way, shape or form is it easy, but I would term it as an easy event because, you know, there's not much that's changing. Like, you know what is planned. So you can, you know, you have time, there's not as much pressure. Um, And then you have the second thing that comes into play, which is that pandemic, which you just don't know how to respond to it. You know what you can do, you know what resources, but you don't, you don't have all of the information. And then is it airborne? Is it, you know, is it only by saliva? Like all these things, all these different ways of looking at the pandemic, it, it became, that was a challenge in itself. Um, we, we had the, the resources and we had the information that we, um, that we needed and it was definitely timely. We were able to get all those resources, um, get the staffing, put things into place to kind of do our best to mitigate the impact, not only on our staff, but on the community, uh, which, you know, we're still in, uh, pandemic's not over. The next thing with the civil unrest was, you know, our EOC was completely set up for the response to COVID. Um, we had our, all of our boards were up in, um, pandemic laden with all the information that we that we were working on um and then there's this there's this thursday um that starts you start seeing what happens in the community and you work you know i'm at home watching it on tv just like everyone else mm-hmm. uh, but once you start getting through the weekend it it hit and it hit our city and you know i know a lot of people plan for an incident within an incident which you know it's typically you know, you have an injury that's inside of whatever, you know, large response that you're doing. That's typically what we do as incident within an incident. Um, but what I saw not only for our city, but uh, sister cities, our, the county, is everyone's going, wait, how do, we, how do we bifurcate these two major incidents? These are, you know, these are major across the entire county. Um, and we had to pivot. Uh, there was no there was no opportunity for us to say, hold on, let's sit here and wait and think about it. It's get it done. And, you know, even at the county, we saw that we were um, we would we were up there for the Bobcat fire to support them for a little bit. Um, just with our disaster um, disaster area management coordinators positions, uh, we were helping with all the sister cities in Area A. And pretty much what we were doing is seeing that even they were going, well, how do we send out our incident action plans uh, when there's three different incidents going on at one time? And, you know, it, it challenged everyone's system. So for me here in Santa Monica, it was great to see that I wasn't the only one that was kind of struggling on that one. But at the same time, we're seeing what's going on and we're going, OK, how do we how do we respond to this civil unrest because we don't, you know, there's so much information that was out there. There's a protest over here, but is it actually going to be there? Um, there's a cancellation over here, but is it actually going to happen? Um, and then there were so many protests that you didn't know the specifics of whether or not something was going to get out of hand like it did in uh, Beverly Hills or you know, Los Angeles. So there were so many different areas of having to plan for it. It was definitely mine mind-boggling at the end of the day um but you know one of our one of our dispatchers uh she said it best it doesn't matter what what kind of day that you've had no no one really cares if you're having a bad day uh they're expecting you're expected to do your job right and and that's that's what we had to do during that time uh didn't really have time to sit there and think 
it was due. And that's where, you know, I kind of talked with our team a little bit and I go, that's what we plan. We, we plan and we exercise. And sometimes we have these crazy plans or crazy exercises that come, you know, hey, there's a zombie that just showed up. Hey, it's outlandish, but you know, what happens in the middle of a pandemic when there's a civil unrest? Right. <laughs> Somebody would probably call me crazy one day, but that was 2020. 20. This is one of those things that, that in our craziest, our craziest tabletops, this came true. Our craziest ta- tabletop came true. And I seen a sign to, com- you know, to go off the comment you just made is that this, this uh, virus sucks. I wanted zombies. So, you know, it's, the, yeah, it's, uh, it's one of those things that we plan for all these things. And we make them, we make them so over the top. This would never happen. But guess what? 2020 happened. I mean, we had the pandemic and then we had the civil unrest and we had fires and we had hurricanes and we had cold, you know, cold fronts. And we had it was it it, it was not un, the most unrealistic event that we would, could have planned for and done a tabletop exercise for. It happened in 2020. Yeah, uh, we and on that we, you know, the major things that we ran into, we also had a few um, administrative changes. So unfortunately, we, we um, our city manager, we had to change the city manager. Um, so at that time, you know, you're in the middle of an emergency, you, you have a, your disaster, um, your director of emergency services changes. What does that do to all your, um, all your objectives? What does that do to the EOC's function? How does it change? You know, we had that happen. And then of course, um, the new city manager, as they step in, uh, there's, I'm not going to say a learning curve, but also there's, there's, there's still an adjustment to the position, um, you know, grasping all the things that, you know, you have to make the decisions for. And then, you know, you have a core group of the EOC going, hey, um, we would like your guidance on these four things. Everything else is going smooth. So uh, that was 2020. And, you know, that's what we had to do. Mike asked a good question. He goes, what was the struggle uh, for the city um, to track costs? And, like, how did you divide them between events, like for specifically for reimbursement from – state yeah when when we came on when I came on board uh, with the city and we got started with we, we our finance team we already we already had methods in place um, you know we have our safe we have that you know has checks and things like that in it which is more you know traditional response to these large large-scale incidents um, but luckily with the marathon and things like that we've already started like coding cost on the back end. So, you know, anytime there's a credit card charge or things like that, it's coded with a, with a, with a tag. So they can just pull that code on the back end and we can always uh, make sure that the costs are coded the right way. And so anything that let's just say anything that's coded one, that's referencing um, this charge or this, this incident. Um, Luckily, once we started looking at how these incidents are working, uh, got with our finance section chief, um, who's um, our financial operations manager and said, Hey, let's, let's make like three of these. So we were able to just go in and pretty much make an entire new column worth of uh, codes. And so once we started looking at stuff, we were going, okay, this is directly civil unrest. This is directly COVID. Um, And we made it, we have a couple of extra ones just because 2020 was that kind of year where we're like, we don't know what's coming next. So let's just make a couple extra. Um, The struggle in reality was trying to figure out if something was COVID or if something was civil unrest. 
uh, because there is a lot of overlap. Mm. Um, let's say if you have to, if you have a police officer that's on the street uh, responding to civil unrest, but gets spit on, uh, we have to now COVID test them. Is that COVID or is that civil unrest? Um, I say COVID. So, you know, when it comes down to that, you know, you have to have some eyes on certain things. And that became the struggle because there were some things where you really had to give it to a select group of people to sit there and go, please determine whether or not this is COVID or not. Um, so that was the biggest struggle, but I think we, we did an excellent job of being able to separate things. Um, and also going down to the, the, the invoice in your hand, looking at it, you go, all right, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, we have time to do the reimbursement stuff down the road. Um, but that was a struggle. Uh, absolutely. Good question, Michael, by the way. Uh, one, one more question on, on the on the civil unrest, um, and I want to give Dan a chance here to, to ask some questions because I can see it's burning in. So when you guys respond to the civil unrest, um, I, I know we we talked offline a little bit. I know that you personally um, had some uh, some reservations about some stuff, but what it, what I mean by this is when you guys are managing it from the political sense, from the EOC sense. Like, what directions were you giving to law enforcement? What directions were you giving to um, keeping the ability for people to have their First Amendment right to, to speak, but yet at the same time uh, dealing with the agitators and those that were, like, throwing rocks and burning buildings? Yeah, so great question. And I think that's for, for this group and uh, for the public. Like, so our Emergency Operations Center um, – we do our best to divide and conquer. Um, we do not provide direct tactical um, support to the police. And with that, you know, when it came down to the way that the police responded, uh, that was not something that we had any, any hand in. Uh, we were here to support um, any resources that were needed, um, you know, whether it be food, standing up, the incident command posts, uh, whether it be uh, damage assessment team leaders, barricades, uh, public information, uh, you know, S, we call them SM alerts. It's our Everbridge platform. Um, all of these things, we were here to do that. So we didn't have that much of a large team here. I want to say there was five of us here um, that were responding from the Office of Emergency Management. Uh, with that, we ran all the logistics of getting the resources there, uh, making sure that um, barricades, like there was a moment where we actually um, closed off a, mo uh, a portion of the city due to the curfew. So, you know, making sure we had those assets in place, that's kind of where our role was. So, you know, when it came down to the First Amendment rights, where it came down to, um, you know, how people could protest, where they could protest, uh, we didn't have any hand in that. So I, I honestly couldn't speak to it too much. Yeah, I didn't want to allude that there's a tactical decisions being made in EOC. No. I just meant more along the lines of policy coming from the city manager and, and, the, and the city council. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's that's where, you know, we, we had a very generic, you know, we believe that everyone has their First Amendment right to protest. Um, you know, we had a few a uh, few news conferences where they went out and they, they pretty much said that they reaffirm that. Um, so with that, you know, we will allow for people to do their First Amendment rights and go out and uh, protest. Um, but at the same time, here's the line. And so that's kind of where the that came from. That really didn't go from our EOC. It went pretty much from our city manager um, at the um, in in consultation with the police chief. So those two moments, they, they pretty much were shoulder to shoulder. Um, our police chief is not 
necessarily in our emergency operations center structure just due to the executive level when we built out our team um, just so they can have those one-on-one -on -one conversations um, outside of the emergency operations center I'd like to, to, to sum up the show with uh, this question here. And this is something I'm a big advocate for. And I feel like we need to be pushing more, especially as emergency management professionals, is the growth of the profession. And you've alluded to, you have two people in your, your office, you know, of Office of Emergency Management of the entire city. Most jurisdictions have one person running the shop. Um, do you see that changing in your jurisdiction one, uh, where you can actually potentially grow your department, grow your division, and two, how can we continue as professionals to drive the message of what it is that we do and the importance of having more of us do it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we do have two people. Um, we used to have three, um, one retired, but we've had um, we've had budget cuts just like many local jurisdictions. So um, we're down to two. Um, in reality, and I, I guess I must preface the Office of Emergency Management for the City of Santa Monica also has um, our dispatch center. So when I say we're uh, a team of two, we have our emergency services side and then we also have our public safety communications. So um, that's not to discredit all of the, the 40 dispatchers that we have um, on the other side of the house, but at the same time, uh, they're not running emergency management. So typically in these conversations, typically I say there's two people, um, but we're, where does where do we see it going? Um, I definitely think there's an opportunity to grow the profession because, um, unfortunately, it took four, three or four emergencies for people to really see what we did. Um, you know, we have people that are in our EOC chief, um, our logistics section chief. Uh, you know, just we're just talking with them a little bit. He every once in a while I'll joke around and go, and I didn't know what you did before this. I thought you guys were just a waste of time and a waste of money. And I go, thanks for being my logistics section chief. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, you know, but when it comes down to that, like it took these cascading events, all of these emergencies for people to see what we do. And I definitely think there's an opportunity now for people to continue to see that. Um, not just for people that are sitting in these seats, but at the same time, our public safety partners and our public works crews. Uh, now they really see what we have the capacity to do. So over the last year, 2020, uh, it's definitely been one of those things where the police department, fire departments, public works, they call us and they probably call us a little too much now. <laughs> um, so we have to, you know, like we have to back off. Hey, hey, that's, that's not, that one's not us. Um, so I think there is going forward, I think there's going to be a resurgence in this field. Um, yeah, I think it's going to take on a different look. Um, uh, and I, per and I'll, I'll say personally, I, you know, looked at this and I said, it needs to be a different group of people that are coming into emergency management, not necessarily people that are coming out of law enforcement and out of fire. Um, I come out of fire um, and I see that there's, there's a different mentality because emergency management's different than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, there's a lot of social issues that we need to take into consideration. And when it comes down to these major incidents, people are kind of looking around going, that's not me, therefore, who's gonna do it? And I think that's where emergency managers are coming into play. So do I see it growing? Definitely. I have a follow up on that, Stephen. Um, when it comes to what we do as emergency managers and and the fact that we're starting to see more people coming directly from um, 
education college programs, uh, let's say, when I say education, getting their degrees in emergency management um, into the field. And we're, they're bypassing the traditional going into police and fire, EMS. Um, do you see this as a positive growth? I, I do. But do you see this as a positive growth in, in what we're doing? And how do we encourage more people to go and get degrees in emergency management um, and, and come into the field without going through the lights and sounds? Yeah, I, you know, um, I, I love our brothers and sisters in, in public safety, but I now I don't think you necessarily need to have the lights and sirens in order to be a good emergency manager. Um, I never rode, I never drove a police car. I never rode in a, um, in a or I never rode in the fire truck, you know, big red. That wasn't me. I, I came from the prevention world. Uh, so, you know, I was a fire inspector. Um, and I think those are the qualities that you need um, in these types of things now. And when it comes down to being an emergency manager now, I, I've looked at, you know, I got my master's degree from Georgetown. Um, that's kind of where I, I had my, the, the biggest shock of my life of being on the ground in, um, in Louisiana, looking at climate change and going, is this necessarily a police or fire incident? And most likely it, it isn't. So, you know, that's where I look at the importance of education and looking at the dynamic changes that we are having in this entire, in the, in the world, going and saying, who is going to do this? Someone needs to be doing this work um, and they need to understand the brevity of what we're dealing with. This is, uh, emergency management is not just response, it's the mitigation, it's the preparedness. Um, and I think there's more education that needs to happen um, just because at the end of the day, uh, police and fire are there for a little bit, but who's going to be there for the long haul? Who's going to do the recovery? And that's actually what got me into emergency management. That's a, a great point, Stephen. When it comes to uh, preparedness, mitigation, prevention, uh, I feel like we're, we're definitely not anywhere near where we need to be uh, in, in emergency management, but in, in general, and just in, in everyday life with everybody. Uh, it's it's not just an emergency, what emergency management needs to do, it's what the every, everyday person should be contributing to their own personal safety and their home life. And, you know, with, with the continued growth of these disasters, but also these acts of violence that are taking place and what we need to do to keep ourselves safe. And, and, and when something like that pops off, how to respond to it to prevent us from losing our life, but others from losing their lives. Uh, these are all things that we definitely need to spend more time in mitigation prevention and um, as the recovery aspect of things yeah when when lights and sirens are done and the event's over who's who's picking up the pieces it's not it's not them you know so there's a lot there but you know as we as we wrap up the show i just want to say thank you for coming on Stephen. thank you for um you know your time is the most valuable thing you can give to anybody and we just appreciate you giving it to us and giving it to the audience today and uh, thank you for what you're doing I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me on and, you know, it's, it's been great. You know, it's, it's always nice to, to talk about all the stuff that you're going through and, you know, whether it be prof professional, personal, uh, there's a lot, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. Uh, disasters and emergencies are about people. That's what I always remind people. Um, and the best way to take care of yourself is to talk about it. And let people know. That's an awesome point. Thank you very much for, for making it. I 100% agree with you. And so as we wrap up, just, you know, don't forget to follow us um, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Clubhouse, 
go on Crisis Cafe. We have our, our book club right now. Uh, the um, So we, if you go on and sign up for it, it's the uh, Truth Seekers Handbook uh, Club that's, that you got there. Uh, follow Stitch Radio on LinkedIn. We have 14 different shows that are that are being produced on Stitch Radio. Very great, some great shows on leadership, on tactical response, um, some disaster stuff, other stuff Todd does, which, you know, what, you know, but, uh, but uh, just thank you so much for listening. Keep in touch with us uh, next Wednesday. Tune in to EM Student. We're going to talk about some new things that we're going to be doing. But please, please, please go on Crisis Cafe. It's a, it's a place for emergency managers built by emergency managers. This is Todd and Dan. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon.